VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I know what love is. I love you. You complete me. I may have never been kissed on Notting Hill, but I found a podcast to get the film. Maybe I'm clueless, but this is good as it gets. Paige, Mikey, and Todd serving the best of my best friend's wedding. Rom-coms, true love, and heavy petting. Maybe crying on the couch, but we're not forgetting. The most of these flicks are trash. We relive it again. All romance in the podcast. As you wish. I've been doing a lot of things. The thing is, I love you. Looks like love at first sight to me. Thank you for tuning into Romancing the Podcast. You had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. <laughs> I'm Todd Schlosser. And today we watched Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. And I hope you're ready for a lot of Shakespeare facts. I think that's what <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that today. <laughs> and a lot of tears, man. Like I cried a lot during this movie. I sobbed through the last 30 minutes of this film. Yeah. And, and I have every time I've seen it. Yeah. I, I've seen <laughs> really? this a bunch. Yes. Uh, clearly, you guys guys have all seen this before right i have not what my, this was mikey's first time yes. oh my yeah. god you're a shakespeare virgin mikey <laughs> <laughs> i saw this years ago and yeah. i realized in watching it that it was like the first time watching it since meeting my husband oh yeah like it had been that long and i thought for sure that i was gonna because i have some you know things about the movie that like as i've grown as a person i view it differently sure and i fully thought that i was gonna like get through it and have it just be like oh that wasn't as good as i remember nope no not at all sobbed all the way through <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it, it was just as bad as it was the last time i and i've seen this movie multiple times and cried every time yeah this came out for me when i was in high school and mm -hmm. i cried a lot then when i saw it because i did see it in theaters and then it became like this movie that my brother and i would watch all the time just because we thought like there were some really funny sections and like there are really funny yeah. sections of this so movie yeah. he will he will out of the blue send me like a Shakespeare in Love quote, which I realize sounds weird, but it's not like the Shakespeare quotes. It's like, uh, right. I was a pirate king and now I'm a nurse. That's funny. <laughs> like It's shit like that, you know? Everybody loves a bit with a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I probably watched this movie 30 times uh, and yeah. I watched it again and cried again like it was the first 30 time. 30 times? Yeah. I mean, I'm not even joking, Mikey. Yeah, it's so good. I really liked it. I mean, I I feel like, okay, so this is a first time we're coming through here. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I did cry at the end. Of course, I, I had some tears. Uh huh. Yes, yep. of course. Um, I will say that I was like, "Oh, this is like really witty and pretty good," but I was like, "I feel like I'm missing a lot of these jokes because I didn't do theater and I don't know a lot about Shakespeare." Oh yeah, you probably were then. Yeah, because they yeah. basically turned to the camera and wink, and I'm like, "I don't get it." You know, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> there, like, here's how deep this goes. So I, I did not see this movie until either college or right after college, and it, it had been out. But I didn't see it because my mother is an AP English teacher who <laughs> loves Shakespeare and hates this movie oh, I bet she does, yeah. with a violent passion reserved only for it's like biblical blasphemy in this movie. Like yeah. she just hates this movie. And I think everyone kind of goes through, you know, a period in their life at some point where they watch all the movies their parents told them not to watch. Yeah. And so I watched this 
around. I, I watched like this, Boogie Nights, and like a handful of other things that they were like, no, thank you. We should do Boogie Nights. We, oh, God, that is not. <laughs> uh, Paige's family fun fact, her dad actually really likes this movie. My dad, yeah, my dad kind of likes this movie. He um, DM'd me. Did he really? <laughs> about this movie that actually doesn't surprise me because i so i specifically texted my mom this week to be like to try to get to the bottom of why she dislikes the movie like i i suspected i knew uh and i was right uh, but while i was doing it i was like i feel like maybe dad would like this movie yeah so what did he dm you let's go to the evidence because i put I, I put that the movie like made me cry at the end can I just say I really like that you're having emotional deep conversations with Paige's father via Instagram DMs. <laughs> oh, he goes, some debate, but I really like this movie. <laughs> the some debate is, is him fighting with your mom about it, Paige. <laughs> and and you know what? They've been married for uh, they're about to have, I believe, their 38th wedding anniversary. That's so wow. you know what? They did something right. Uh, but here's how deep the rabbit hole goes. My sister texted me, was like, is Mikey okay? Because of the <laughs> on Instagram. So like my oh my, my whole God. family, my whole family was concerned that you were so upset. Uh, oh by my this movie. God. Mikey, you were uh, so touched yeah. by this movie. People were reaching out to your friends to support you. I should have used <laughs> one crying emoji on Instagram story. <laughs> I used three. Yeah, so three was I excessive. Got... Three was excessive. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, my mom is a, a huge, massive Shakespeare nerd and uh, hates this movie. And in texting her back and forth about it, her frustration is the inaccuracies, which. I feel oh. like we'll talk about later. Sure, but uh, it's not supposed to be historically accurate. That's like, what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. I thought well, it was supposed to be like, we made a comedy for Shakespeare nerds. Yes. Yes. And what was very funny is that I texted back, well, he was gay anyways. And she was like, <laughs> bisexual. How dare you? Wow. <laughs> he was clearly wow. bisexual. And I was like, this is up for debate. Also, <laughs> Christopher Marlowe might have written all of it anyway. I know, and so, right? yes. So, Todd, you are also a Shakespeare nerd. Oh, yeah. So, like, this this movie got me into Shakespeare for, like, a solid five-year stint where, like, I was super into it. But this was sort of my entrance into it. I didn't really know a lot about it until, you know, like, the stuff you have to read, like, in, like, school. I read mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that's good. But, like, this this movie got me, like, really, really into it. So like for five years of my life, I was super into the sonnets and the plays yeah. and stuff. And then I switched over to Oscar Wilde because I prefer oh, another yes. gay, more recent yes. English writer. Oscar Wilde yeah, high is- High fives yeah. through the video chat. Oscar Oscar Wilde is by far the superior writer, but very similar. Oscar Wilde is more witty and I like that. I love Oscar Wilde. I love me some Dorian Gray. Oh, um, yeah. that, that's one. So to give you some context into the relationship I have with my mother, uh, for Christmas a couple years ago, I got her the unedited version of Dorian Gray, the one that they released with all of the sexually explicit scenes Paige, you're just classy and that's what i like about you the most you're just like a classy lady it's amazing so like i i personally think that the importance of being earnest is one of the most impressive literary works ever written but that's just i realize that that's like a stupid take but like i, I love it and we should do that movie i don't mean to be a dick but maybe we should talk about this movie 
<laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Because, you know, I played sports in high school, so I have no idea what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, we for, get like, it, Mikey. Fans. You were cool. You were cool. <laughs> no. That's fine. So let, let's just get into this fucking movie so we can talk about it. Let's do it. So, for. I, okay, so like, let me talk about. Wait, we, yeah, you guys talked movie, about. Like, <laughs> I really liked the character of Bill Shakespeare, and I really liked Gwyneth Paltrow's character. They were both very likable, and they had good chemistry. Yes. I do want to point out that this is not a historical depiction of real Shakespeare. <laughs> so if you're calling him real Shakespeare the whole time, that's going to get confusing. I don't think it was a historical depiction, but I really liked his character. Right. Same. Yes. First of all, we open. This is a Miramax movie. Did yes. that sour it for either of you? <laughs> uh, because Weinstein? Is that why you're asking? <laughs> it's just yeah. giant text across the street. Produced by Harvey Weinstein. And I was like, mm, that didn't age well. No, it did not. I wonder if they're going to go retroactively take that kind of shit off movies. <laughs> he produced a lot of really good movies. He though. did. I mean, I mean that's yeah, one of the he reasons did. he was able to get away with the horrible shit he got away with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating when people are talented, but also monsters. Yeah. <laughs> so we open on a title card that says London 1593. Yep. Now, that year is important both to British history. Uh, but also to a lot of the research I did around this film. Really? Uh, (laughs) Because a lot of the things that are interesting about this movie is that they kept a lot of set pieces accurate and some historical things accurate, but they kept the life of Shakespeare very inaccurate. And in a lot of ways, the characters and the motivations in the film more closely mirror a modern depiction of Hollywood and the production system set within Ah. 1593 England. That makes sense, though. Yes, and it was one of those things that I didn't really catch the first time I watched it. I just liked it. Right. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, they're making fun of old-timey Shakespeare stuff, but they're also making fun of modern stuff. And there are a couple different things where they clearly are poking fun at modern things that is actually very, very funny that I this was the first time I caught it. So we get a little bit of information about how there are two opposing groups of actors at this time actors were kind of tied to a specific theater they were have like troops performing in specific places and the chamberlain's men were the group of actors performing at the palace so elevated not considered to be filthy degenerates because actors were not looked upon kindly (laughs) necessarily at this time Um, (laughs) and that's kind of where we start out at the rose theater which is the opposing group where Jeffrey Rush as Henslow uh, is being legitimately tortured I because he this. cannot pay his debts. Dude, okay, so there are so many stars in this movie. We open up with Jeffrey Rush, who is like an amazing, amazing actor, and he is a mm-hmm. smallish. He has a smallish part in this movie. I mean, I love Hemslow. I don't get me wrong; yes. he's one of my favorite characters. But like everyone in this movie is famous, and I love that about this. Yes, the one thing I do really like about Jeffrey Rush's character is he <laughs> he is always the person to ask where things are in the play. Where he's just like, where's the pirates? Where's the dog? Where's the dog? Yeah. And and it just gets more and more ridiculous where you're like, what did he think this play was going to be about? And uh, it (laughs) amused me greatly. I love that throughout the whole time he is pissed that it's not a comedy. He's like asking those questions because he's like, no, this is funny. This is not funny, Shake. What are we doing? And then the only time you see him get at all emotional is when Burbage comes and offers his playhouse. Yes. And it's in that bar scene at the towards the end. He's like, <laughs> it's 
it's so it's so funny. I love that so much. But Hemslow is like being tortured by who is the I forget the guy's name who um is torturing him. Oh, but that actor's good. I loved yeah. I loved his arc yes. the most. I think. Oh, me too, Mr. Fennyman. Yeah, Mr. Fennyman. That's right. Which the only reason I know is because there is a modern theater joke later in the movie that revolves around his name, and I will point it out when we get there. Yes, I can't wait to hear it. Good, because I'm a hundred percent positive I did not get it when I watched the movie. Same. <laughs> I, but okay, so I love that. Like he is like the money lender, and he does his own collecting. I was like, I like this guy. He's a yeah, get hands shit on. done kind of guy. Very hands on. I'm a fan of Fennyman and Mr. Free, Mr. Freeze or whatever. Mr. His, Freeze is his like Iceman, basically. I know, and he's yeah. like his human calculator. Yeah, because when Jeffrey Rush's character is like offering him like we'll be partners in this play that um, Ethel the pirate. Romeo and Ethel the Pirate's Daughter Pirate's that Shakespeare daughter. is writing. Like, I love that he, he, Mr. Freeze is like doing all the math in his head so fast. Which <laughs> is amazing because I did all this math uh-huh. and ran it through an old money currency converter. <laughs> uh, wow. I, I, have, I have money notes for this entire thing. So uh, Jeffrey Rush's character, Henslow, owes 12 pounds, one shilling and four pence which in today's money is approximately 2,071 pounds and okay. 21 cents, uh, the equivalent of $2,447.44 U.S. dollars. Oh. Now, equivalency is one thing, but what I found more interesting is that this currency converter, which is put on by the National Museum for the U.K., <laughs> Uh, go ahead and play with it online. It's great. Yeah. It also gives you notes on purchasing power. So, like, Here's what you could buy with that amount of money at the time. Oh, cool. So that amount of money is equivalent to one horse or (laughs) six cows or six quarters of wheat or 241 days of skilled labor from a person. It's almost a year's wage for one person. That's amazing. Okay. And that's skilled tradesmen. So like that's not your your average. That's not like a farm worker. That's like a mason or a a blacksmith. Yes. Mm -hmm. Jeez, that's insane. Okay. Now with interest, he ends up owing 16 pounds, five shillings and nine pence, which is the equivalent of 2,796 pounds or 3,302 pounds and 43 cents U.S. dollars. <laughs> and the buying power increases it to eight cows or almost an entire year of skilled tradesmen Jesus. labor. So, yes, the National Archives in the U.K. provides it. Go look it up. It's super fun. Now, this is where he tries to argue that he's putting on a new comedy and they threaten to cut off his nose. <laughs> when they hear that it's Shakespeare, they threaten to cut off his ears, too. Yeah. Which is very telling, of the reputation Shakespeare has within the world of this movie. He's no Marlowe. He's no Marlowe. <laughs> I love that the entire movie, everyone is making him eat shit because Marlowe's a better writer. <laughs> Which yes. is, it is a pervasive literary theory that Marlowe is responsible for the most successful Shakespeare plays. So I've actually heard that Marlowe and Shakespeare were the same person. I have heard that too. I don't yes. know if that holds any weight. That's like one of those conspiracy theories that I have not looked into, but I've I've heard that like Kit Marlowe had debts he wanted to escape, so he like faked his death That's and became Shakespeare or something like that. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah. I've heard that one. I've also heard that they were lovers and that 
who the sonnets were written to. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me either. So I really like the moneylenders plot of just doing this reluctantly to falling in love with the theater. Oh, yeah. That was like the best character (laughs) arc of the whole movie. Because he is very much all about the money. He's like, okay, the play will make about 20 pounds. You'll owe me 16. Well, we have to pay the actors. And he goes, yeah, just give him a share of the profits. And then I love how I love how Henslow is like, oh, you may have hit upon something like we should always do that. And there's never any profit. So this is actually the first modern joke in this this, movie. Yeah. Okay. okay, Yeah. 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 This is like points on the back end. Yes. This is points on the back end. Uh, And it is typically a bad business move because plays and movies are often designed to write off profits for creative Hollywood accounting. So they actually kind of address this within that same conversation of like, but there are never any profits. That's a joke on the fact that in Hollywood, if you're doing your job right, your movie technically doesn't make anything. Yeah. So if you're an actor, that's why super famous actors almost always get their money up front and then also have points on the back end because the likelihood of them actually getting those points on the back end slim to none. Right. So they've already got their however many millions up front. So get your money up front yeah now occasionally like i think when you guys covered the purge on horror virgin i think ethan hawk took points on the back end he did yeah and he made a shitload of money off that yes the only time you win points on the back end is if people don't believe your movie's going to succeed so they don't spend a lot of marketing money or anything mm-hmm. on it and so you do get those dividends but yeah. it's very rare. I mean that movie made over 100 million dollars I believe if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. I think it was like 1.5 to make. So like the, the yeah. every everyone who had points in the back end made a lot off of that movie. Yeah. It's almost always unexpected. Another one that's kind of like a success story for that is Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Where Nia Vardalos made like God knows how much on the back end on that one. Yeah. That's what I mean by there are modern entertainment industry jokes set against the backdrop of old theater England. Yeah. Well, we're one scene in, and I can already tell that this movie was, like, basically made for you two. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm, like, sitting here, and I'm like, well, I have nothing to add, so let's move on. (laughs) But this is also the first time we hear the title of Romeo and Ethel the Pirate's Daughter. Yeah. Which is so Um, funny. It is a hilarious title because it's it's descriptive. Like, I can picture that play. (laughs) And I feel like that play is just like Will Shakespeare as a Romeo stand in just getting caught with a pirate's daughter. And that's the there's a bit with a dog and everyone loves it. Now, a historical note on Romeo and Juliet, the play, because this film does posit that the play itself is written because of the circumstances in William Shakespeare's life at the time. However, that play is actually an archetype that goes as far back as the Greek tragedy of Pyramus and Thisbe by Ovid and likely further back than that, including the story of Tristan and Isolde, which we should also watch. Yes. Uh, And there is actually allegedly an earlier writing of just the basic story points of Romeo and Juliet prior to the play. No shit. I didn't know that. So the idea... That it it starts as like Romeo and Ethel the Pirate's Daughter and ends up where it does is not accurate, but does make for a great movie. It does. I loved it. But this whole thing is not historically accurate at all. Right. But this is also where we find out that they only have two weeks to put the play on, which within the context of this movie seems like months for the amount of things we see. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Because like her, like Gwyneth Paltrow's family goes out of town for like three weeks. And I was like, have they been gone like seven years? (laughs) 
<laughs> it feels like it. Well, what it was is they were going to spend two weeks in America. So it took six months to get there. They spent their two-week vacation. It was six months back. Yeah. A note on America. <laughs> this time frame predates most of the earliest colonies in Virginia. Yeah. That, that was one of my facts. Yeah, it was 13 years before Virginia actually existed. Yes. So the fact that he was going to Virginia cannot be factually accurate either because Virginia did not exist. Right. So Wessex is a dick and a liar. <laughs> yes, exactly. And just making up places. Scene two. <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't even introduced William Shakespeare yet. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've been recording 52 minutes and we're just now... Talking about the opening credits where we meet William Shakespeare, who clearly has writer's block. So this is where we find out that they have two weeks to open the play, which yeah. is crazy. But this is also where we get some cool kind of historical tidbits where they refer to the people on the ground floor of the theater as groundlings. As groundlings, yeah. Yeah, which is accurate. It's an improv troupe, too. Yes. A mm -hmm. lot of people from SNL came through the groundlings. It's, it's actually really big in L.A. Yes, the school is not far from my house. Nice. And the reason those seats were cheap was because the stage was at eye level. So groundlings yeah. often couldn't fully see what was happening. It was a lot of a lot of shoes. <laughs> and their neck really hurt at the end of the show. Yes. I'm more of a UCB guy myself, but whatever. They're both great. Cult. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, you would know, Paige. <laughs> They're all cults. It's fine. Uh, no, so it is. But it's awesome. Like, guys, get into improv. Like, some of the best comics in the world that you've never heard of do improv exclusively. This is true. This is also where they start to ask where the play is. Can we see the play? And <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey Rush's character is like, oh, I'm definitely sure that William Shakespeare's writing it right now. And we do see him writing. Yeah. We do see him writing what looks like drafts, uh, yeah. but which also paper wasn't cheap back then. He's using it like it's nothing. He's using it like Todd uses tissues. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> for crying, Paige, for crying. <laughs> I just have in my notes that I think it's hilarious that he's Shakespeare, but he looks like a member of Matchbox 20. So, <laughs> okay. He he was legit frosted tips away from singing, tell me why. Ain't yeah. nothing but Shakespeare. Yeah. He is also Voldemort's brother, and he looks a lot like him. So I was like, oh, what? this oh. looks sort of like Voldemort's younger brother is Shakespeare, which I'm on board for. I feel like he's way hotter than his older brother. Agreed. Personally. Yeah. He, like, if anybody could get it, it is Shakespeare, not Voldemort. That's not a hot take. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like yeah, that's, that's, yeah. One of my favorite parts about this movie is that they old-timey ugly up most of the famous actors, except, yes. for, except for Ben Affleck and Will Shakespeare. <laughs> they stand out like they're not dirty throughout the whole film. I mean, like, yes. they stand out. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only things that's dirty on Shakespeare is his, his fingernails his because he's got like ink stains on his nails, which I, I liked. I thought that was interesting. It shows that he's like he spends mm -hmm. a lot of time writing. Oh, I read that. Oh, did you? That really speaks for wrote a lot. I read. That. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that isn't news to most people, I guess. Um, so I do feel like the makeup artist like brought in dirt from outside just to smear on people. And then Ben Affleck was like, don't touch me with that. <laughs> I love his character in this movie, by the Which, way. But yeah, we. this is the first Ben Affleck is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 90s Ben Affleck is in this movie. Like, I like, I'm moving ahead. The I like moving ahead scenes because I'm like, let's get done with the beginning. I'm ready to get into it. <laughs> well, OK, what, what we do see him doing is writing his signature a, a bunch of times like a total crazy person. Because he's got writer's block. That's like a yeah. common thing to do when you have writer's block. There's a shot of him writing and in the background. There's a mug that says a present from Stratford upon Avon. 
which yeah. is where his his wife is from. It's like his hometown or whatever. But it's like a like a new style merch mug, and it's really funny to me. Like it's so stupid, but it makes me laugh every time I see it. Um, so Jeffrey Rush comes up and is like, "Where's the play?" And he's like, "It's all up here in the head," which is what writers say when they don't have anything. And right. when they've literally written zero, yeah, yes. And he says that he has to find his muse, and Jeffrey Rush is like, "Who is it this time?" Implying that every time there's a muse, that it's somebody new. Uh, and this is where we get introduced to Aphrodite Baggett, the one who does it behind the dog and trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> and she comes up a couple different times. She sounds yes. like a good time. We never meet yeah. her. We just hear about her a lot where anytime somebody brings up the name Aphrodite, which actually comes up a lot in Shakespeare because he stole a yeah. lot from Greek mythology. And somebody says Aphrodite and they're like, oh, the one behind <laughs> like everyone knows her. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite running gags in the movie. I'm still holding out for that prequel. Like I want when I want the play he wrote when she was his muse. Cause I feel like that would be a much better one. <laughs> this is where he goes to essentially the apothecary slash witch doctor. I like the witch doctor therapist. Of course you like the witch doctor <laughs> therapist, Mikey. I do want to point out the whole way there. And like throughout this next little bit of scenes, Jeffrey Rush's character is like babying his feet. Cause yes. he literally just yes. came from having them torched by, Fennyman. Every time we cut back to him, he's like in in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Even when he's walking, he's like very gingerly walking. I love Jeffrey Rush. He's so good. I, I liked it. But yeah, so Mikey, I am not a therapist. You are. You're like a licensed actual therapist who's right? like done with their hours. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. you're like fully accredited, right? Uh, yeah. I run a whole department of a crisis team. I'm the clinical supervisor of 70 people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you're like a legit like a legit therapist let me ask you this when you became a therapist did they teach you about like what bracelets produce positive and negative effects <laughs> most of that stuff you know it's from 1540 to like basically 1979 right, right. <laughs> in the 80s most of that stuff got phased out but what i love about this scene is that like verbally he's saying all the things a therapist says it's like yes oh how do you feel about that do you think like some trauma caused this blockage blah, 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 oh. blah. and like they have a whole therapeutic conversation and in the end he's like Oh, write your name on this this uh this, this thing yeah. and give it put it in a, a wristband and give it to the lady to wear and she'll wear your name on her wrist and she'll be your muse and then you'll probably be over and that'll be twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that the therapist is pretty sure that it's that he can't get it up anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. Like <laughs> He's like, it's like the proud tower of my uh genius has collapsed. Interesting. <laughs> Nothing comes. Ooh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's like trying to pick a lock a lock with a wet herring, which is also very funny. <laughs> Oh, and I really did love that even in like the early, like to late uh, 1600s, the chaise lounge was still a staple in therapy. Yes, I, it was. I, I, if someone made a whole movie, like I guess this is all the jokes that you guys were able to get the whole movie. I was like, these yeah. are modern day therapy jokes in this one scene. So I laughed the whole time. My my favorite is the list of women that they go through. A, that he implies that he's gay within the therapy session, which is a oh, yeah. like Shakespeare's gay joke. Uh, yeah. But then they list the women that he's been with recently, and I have that list. It is Black Sue, Fat Phoebe, <laughs> Rosalind Burbage's seamstress, who we do yes. meet only a scene yes, or two do. later, and then Aphrodite, who does it behind the dog and trumpet. And this is another case of somebody going, oh, that Aphrodite. <laughs> like, yeah, got it. Absolutely. Uh, also interesting to note is on the way to therapy, they are screamed at by a street preacher. 
who screams lines that end up in Romeo and Juliet later. That's where we get the play on both both your houses. Yes. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite moments in this movie, and I'm not even joking about this, is that preacher when he converts from (gasps) anti-like play to... When he gets dragged in at the end as accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives an amazing performance. He's in this 30 seconds, and he is one of my favorite characters. This movie pays off so many little things that they sprinkle yes. throughout the it film. Really it, it really does. It really yeah. is really good. Sorry, I just wanted to point out that this is the first time we meet him, and we don't really see him a lot, but he's one of my favorite people in he's this whole thing. He's super funny. Him and, yeah. him and Mr. Weasley, I think. Mr. Weasley yeah, is Mr. also Weasley's one of my favorite in characters in this movie. Which, which Mr. Weasley? Mr. He's, the, he's the stutterer. Yeah, he's the stutterer. Oh! Oh, yeah, I loved his. He's oh. So good. Yeah. Every, so even like really weird side characters have like complete arcs in this movie. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. Yeah. Yes. It's so well written. Yes. Once they leave this erectile dysfunction therapy session, they go to the palace to talk to Burbage and the Chamberlain's men. Let me say one thing. Because like yes. them making fun of Freud the whole like session yes. was so <laughs> I literally funny. wrote paging Dr. Freud in my notes. It was so funny. <laughs> As like a therapist, I like I texted Paige and Todd when I was watching. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever was like, yeah. it was so funny. Because you make jokes like that in like grad school when you learn about Freud, and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you think it may be because like your sex isn't working? <laughs> your sex organs. <laughs> because of your sex isn't working. <laughs> it no work. It's it's a no work, your penis. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, Mikey, I, I'd like to talk to you privately for an hour or so. Um, <laughs> so they go to the palace to talk to Burbage, yes. where he essentially sells the same play twice. Yeah. Uh, I love the scene because he's talking to Bur- Burbage backstage, right? Right. And, and he says, Are you writing something? And he says, Yeah, I'm writing uh, Romeo and Ethel Pirate's Daughter. And I've written it for the Rose and the Admiral's men. and Or no, he says, I've written it for Ned and the Admiral's men. And then Burbage goes, without seeing or knowing anything about the play, he goes, ah, Ned's wrong for it. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many of those like small little like one really quick paying off jokes that I love about this movie. Now, what he does is pays him essentially in advance on it. Uh, in Isn't it two shillings? He pays two sovereigns, which is sovereigns. almost oh. two pounds, uh, oh, which wow. is the equivalent of about 350 pounds no sterling currently. And in American money is closer to 400. That's amazing. I do love how everyone in this is sort of a grifter on some level. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A little bit. That's Hollywood, baby. I know, right? (laughs) This is also where we first see Judi Dench as Queen Elizabeth dressed as like angry Sailor Moon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's stealing every scene, and I love it. Does that make Wessex tuxedo mask or whatever that guy's name was? Oh, I have no idea. I was calling him uh, like evil Firth or like darkest timeline Firth because he's got the Spock beard. That's how you know he's evil. (laughs) He's got the evil goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, aha, this is like we have the good Colin Firth in our universe. And yet in this universe, Shakespeare is straight and Colin Firth is evil. (laughs) That's what happens. If you if you change history and make Shakespeare straight, Colin (laughs) Firth has to be evil. It's ripples. It's ripples in time. That's why time cops exist. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. This is also where we learn that Rosalind is a freak. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't know that she's a freak just yet. You just know that she's super into Will Shakespeare, right? Because right. she, like, grabs the back of his head and they start making out. And this is when he gives her that bracelet or bangle or whatever they call yeah, it. It's yeah, like a yeah. bracelet, right? That he shoved his signature into. Is she married to someone else? I don't think she's married. She's the seamstress for Burbage and, oh, like, right. the okay. Chamberlain's men. Right, okay, and okay. and there's an implication that they're in some sort of relationship because well, they are. we we find out later that other people were waiting for him to leave the house, so they clearly live together. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we also see a dog ruin the scene, and Angry Sailor Moon loves it. <laughs> uh, but this is why it just in my notes it says this is why you never work with animals or children. Um, yeah, but this is Jeffrey Rush's favorite, where he's like, see, love and a bit with a dog. That's what um, everyone wants. That's what and everyone, everyone wants. in all fairness, everyone is laughing. Even Gwyneth Paltrow, who's there, is laughing. But that she's there for the ro- over romanticized stuff, like the you know what light is light if Sylvia be not by that whole section, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what she's there for. And she's beautiful in this movie. She is, yeah. Early Gwyneth Paltrow before she like goes gloop is like. She's perfection. There's no L. There's no L in it, Mikey. Is it goop? It's just it's goop. goop. Oh. Yeah. Before she married the guy from Coldplay and ruined all their music. <laughs> <laughs> She's the Yoko Ono of the 90s. Yeah, because they used to write all the, like these really great, sad, lonely songs. And then he sure. got with Gwyneth Paltrow and that band became terrible. <laughs> I, I like that you're like definitely the scientist. No, Viva La Vida. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, oh lonely God. high school. Michael loved Coldplay, and then in college, I was like, "What happened to you guys?" <laughs> Mikey, I am not at all surprised to learn that high school Mikey loved Coldplay. That yeah. is okay. the most unsurprising fact ever. <laughs> <laughs> High school and early college page was super into Fallout Boys, so it's okay. Oh yeah, I've got we're tickets to down, see them next year. Around. And sugar, sugar we're we're going, going down, down swinging. Hell yeah, the number with a bullet. I love the way they over enunciate everything. Get loaded, good cop, black cocking bullet. <laughs> anyway, Gwyneth Paltrow is basically the most beautiful person in England. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. She's got all of her teeth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Her- yeah. I was about to say, Paige, she's the only one for whom dentistry exists. Yes. And her, her <laughs> hairline is like at an appropriate like range. Unlike yeah. Judy Dench, which is like, I know Sailor Moon has bangs, but mine are going to be on the back of my head. And, <laughs> uh, like, what if Paltrow's collar is done all the way up to 11, though? Like oh, it is yes. like top of her neck. It's so big that she could keep snacks in it and then just like turn her head to eat them. <laughs> She's wearing conservatively uh, yeah. a dog cone. It yes, it is. Like a she just got dog spayed cone. and she's, yeah. She's been spayed and not by you. <laughs> oh my God. I have thoughts about that scene, so we'll have to come back to what, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is also where we see evil Colin Firth uh, with, oh, his yeah. Spock with his Spock goatee. With his giant one earring. Yes, with it, with his girl with a pearl earring, <laughs> earring. And what we basically see is that Gwyneth Paltrow is obsessed with Rob Thomas playing William Shakespeare. And yes. then Colin Firth is obsessed with Gwyneth Paltrow. So it's like a weird triangle. And then we watch Judy Dench fall asleep. But <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow is like enraptured with the play yes. and somehow knows the words, even though it's a new play. 
It's not a new play. Okay. They talk about that. Burbage stole it. Got it. So she'd probably seen it once before at least. Yeah, because Burbage stole it from Hemslow. Yes. When Hemslow follows Shakespeare into this play, he yells at Burbage. He's like, you owe me money for this play. And Burbage <laughs> is like, I don't owe you money. I only stole this play. <laughs> <laughs> so... <sighs> There's like a, so much I missed in this movie that Todd is explaining to me. Oh, I've seen this movie like 30 times. Like, I, I love this movie. Yeah. I, I have some notes later on that I only caught on this viewing, and I'm a massive oh, okay. Shakespeare nerd. So, like, there you this is a movie that you could catch new stuff every time. It is that yeah. layered. Um, yeah. So Shakespeare goes home and starts writing. Gwyneth and her nurse, uh, which is an archetype that we see in Romeo and Juliet, they go home. Played by Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but she does, and she does a great job. Oh, Magic- I love her in this. And honestly, she's great in Harry Potter, oh, too. Oh, yeah, she's, she's a bad terrifying. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where yeah. she's like magical Betsy DeVos. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I hate Betsy DeVos. <laughs> what if hatred just wore pink all the time? Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, we find out that the nurse was a big fan of the dog actor. Great. You're pretty yeah. much describing my exes. Big fans of dog <laughs> actors? No, 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 no. If hatred oh. wore pink all the time. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I know your mom likes must-love dogs, but oh. <laughs> I mean, pink is a fun color. I can't fault somebody for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is where we also get to see Gwyneth Paltrow both old-timey Q-tipping and brushing one tooth. She only yes. brushes one. The Q-tipping thing was very interesting to me. Have you ever had somebody do that? No. It's great. Really? Yeah. Afterwards, you're like, I could hear the future. What? <laughs> 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 Is that Huey Lewis? What? Uh, But the reason I bring up the Q-tipping and the brushing one tooth is because those are both extremely historically accurate things. Really? Yes. Like the toothbrush and everything. And I'm just like, why did we pick this time to be accurate? Which I think is the root of why my mother hates this movie. She's just like, you went to all the trouble to build the sets and the costumes, and all you had to do was fix the screenplay. I want to point out that your Paige's mom impression is now my favorite. Well, so my my mother sounds exactly like me with less swearing. So my impression of my mother is only just slightly elevated, but still me. So, uh, this is also where we find out that she's mad that women aren't allowed on stage and she wants to be an actress. Yes. This is also where we find out that she's not allowed to go to the playhouse and that she is unmarried. This is also where she says that she doesn't want a man without poetry. And I'm like, I don't know if you've met men with poetry, but they typically like other men with poetry. <laughs> hey, that- I feel personally attacked right now. I've written some good love letters. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really wanted Mikey to be like, I'm like pretty poetic. <laughs> I, I, I was expecting to be, I know a poem. There once was a man from Nantucket. <laughs> you guys, that's how I get them because I have this exterior, which is like mas- like you know, masculinity and like Do you? humor. All right, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> but inside, I'm very mushy, <laughs> which is why I'm like yeah. a therapist. And you know, I've written some really good, uh, get some good love letters, some good love. Oh, I bet you have love texts. Listen, Mikey gives great love letter. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no. It's no. the letter K right before he never texts you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And then just leaves you on read. 
<laughs> no, I don't have read receipts on. Those people are very brave, and I don't know how you live life like that. I, I have read receipts on. Yeah, me too. I don't care if you know I read your message. Uh, uh, maybe it's a committed relationship thing. I like leaving them on because I want you to know exactly where you fit into my life. <laughs> oh. All right, let's move on. Next scene. So she she's on her balcony. She wants poetry, love, and adventure. This is... Almost literally exactly the scene from Romeo and Juliet, which is yeah. really weird that it gets written into the play later because Shakespeare was not there for this until the very like like until later when he talks to her on the balcony like two days later. We'll just assume that they had long conversations during their three week long affair. Really? I feel like they were doing other things. <laughs> yeah, I think they were busy having sex, Mikey. What do you think they were doing? Yeah. People also talk, you know, in the refractory refractory period, Mikey. <laughs> I literally just cannot talk today. I'm just picturing them finishing having sex and her being like, exit stage left. The nurse says, like, just immediately launching into it. So we cut to the next day. Shakespeare's gotten, like, nothing done. And Henslow is about to have his feet roasted again because the theaters are closed for plague. How applicable to our day-to-day lives. I know, right? (laughs) Had I known, you know, 25 years ago when this movie came out that this is actually a story about how one man killed a town by wanting to fill the playhouses so we could have sex with somebody's seamstress. I would have thought this was a much darker movie. <laughs> um, we we hear that the theaters are reopened uh, and we find out that the play's title has been changed to Romeo and Rosalind temporarily. <laughs> yeah, I, I did like this part because it's, it's the first time we hear uh, Hemslow's sort of philosophy on life. Yes. And that is, yes. uh, it'll all work out well. Well, how will it work out well? I don't know. It's a mystery. I yes. love that outlook on life. It's amazing. <laughs> like, if I could go through my life with that philosophy, I feel like it'd be much better. And he's right. Like, the About whole everything. Movie? Yeah, absolutely. It's the best. This is where he goes to talk to Rosalind. And we see her fucking the... Um, <laughs> the master of the revels. Yes, the master of the revels. <laughs> and we find out that he opened the playhouses to get Burbage out of the house. He literally says, um, like you, I found him often at home. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, he like clearly opened it so he could like bang Rosalind or whatever. Yeah. I just, you guys are explaining this whole movie to me. That whole thing just like went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also, so the last scene he was like, Romeo and Rosalind and they're like Rosalind and then he comes back and he's like Romeo and Ethel and they're like it's Ethel again Uh, (laughs) because Rosalind broke his Will does look a little hurt that he she is sleeping with yeah absolutely I I feel like and we can talk about this probably more towards the end I feel like in this movie the character of William Shakespeare is portrayed as someone who puts as much investment into infatuation as someone would put into a committed relationship and doesn't understand why that's an unhealthy pattern I feel like that that is exactly what Will does. And that honestly comes through in in Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely. Now they go to the tavern where the food sounds disgusting because it was like pig's foot and juniper berries. I was like. But yeah, it's like a a 1600s tavern. I'm not going to eat there. That's how you get diseases. I'd try it. Pig's foot pickled in gin (laughs) is basically what that is. Look, I eat food at gas stations. I'm I'm down with whatever this is. Me too. Me too. I love a good gas station food. Yes, Paige. I'd try some pig's foot juniper stew. I mean, sure. I mean, I'll leave that to you. But, you know, if you want to get down with some combos and some gummy worms, I'm your girl. (laughs) Uh, 
But this is where we meet Kit Marlowe because Hamslow announces that they're going to do a new play and they're going to do auditions in 20 minutes. So everyone sort of leaves. And now it's just Kit Marlowe and then Will Shakespeare and the bartender who overacts everything. Yes. This is one of my favorite scenes him between Me him too. and Kit. I really like yeah. this. Kit Marlowe is played by peak Rupert Everett. Oh, I love Rupert Everett. He's mm-hmm. so good. So good. He only gets two scenes in this movie, nails both of them. Yeah, it's my best friend wedding level, Rupert Everett. So yes. good. We essentially get to sit through a conversation where Kit Marlowe lays <laughs> out the basic plot points yeah. for Romeo and Juliet. He's so nice to Will Shakespeare. Yeah. Yes. And the, my, my favorite thing is like, he's like, he needs to have a best friend, Marcuccio. God, that's a good name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the shade throughout the movie that William Shakespeare cannot pick names is hilarious. <laughs> well, because because Kit Marlowe talks about his new play, The Massacre at Paris. Yes. And then, then Marlowe's just being a nice guy, and he's like, um, so what are you writing? And he goes, Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter. And then everyone's like... <sighs> <laughs> and he's like, I know, I, I have know. no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, this is so also funny. one of the first times that we see William Shakespeare fully dressed because he's been kind of oh, yeah. in and out of a couple things. And he's his is technically supposed to be a jerkin, uh, but it's essentially a motorcycle jacket. He's wearing yeah. like medieval <laughs> pants and a motorcycle jacket. Yeah. And then everyone auditions with uh, Dr. Faustus, which is... Kit Marlowe's play. <laughs> One of my favorite line deliveries in this whole movie is after hearing, this is the face that launched a thousand ships and burnt the topless towers of Ilium. Ilium. And then yeah. someone comes in and says, I'd like to give you something from Faustus. <laughs> and, and then Jeffrey Rush goes, how refreshing. <laughs> I love that so much. He's so good. It's so, amazing. So this is where Gwyneth Paltrow comes in as quote unquote Sir Thomas Kent. She's wearing men's clothing, but that's it. Uh, not just men's clothing. She yeah. has like also she has glowing locks in this whole film. Like yeah, that's she's yeah. Like, she, she like strawberry blonde, but she has like the perfect men's wig. Well, so she doesn't she, have yes. the wig yet at this point. This is just the no, hat. No, she's just in a hat. But you can tell she's like dressed up like a man before because she looks pretty good. She got like a really nice fake mustache and beard. And that's stuff. not yet. That's later, Mikey. That's, yeah, that's later. What, this is what is she wearing the, now? She literally just the hat. Well, she's wearing like men's clothing, right? The yeah. hat is covering her hair and men's clothing, but she still looks like a woman in a suit. Well, yeah, she's Gwyneth Paltrow. You can't. It's like she's all that. You can't uglier, uh, uglier up. <laughs> she luck. has glasses and she paints. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so she she does Shakespeare's own dialogue, which he's just enough of a narcissist to be like, "Hey, hold up, <laughs> you're clearly yeah. the winner." <laughs> well, I mean, and, and honestly, like during the audition process. Everyone sort of sucks. Yeah. So, like, the deck is stacked so in Gwyneth Paltrow's favor here. Right. Yeah, everyone's walking up there just like, memory. And he's like, thank you. (laughs) But so, like, she does nail it. And he, like, chases her all the way back to her house. Which somebody's followed me back to my house before. Creepy. It doesn't turn out great. You don't marry that person. Yeah. Like they, she got in her water Uber and then he followed her in another water Uber. <laughs> My favorite are the people driving the water Ubers. Cause they <laughs> a, try to give scripts to everyone, which I'm like, this is the realest thing I've ever had. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in an Uber with somebody who has either heard of your podcast or, um, yeah. finds out that you're a stand up comedian or has like heard of it. But every one of them be like, see, I'm kind of the funny one around my friends. And you're just like, I can't please 
This yeah. is why people don't talk. <laughs> Please. I know. Please stop. I felt that on a very real level because that has happened to me before. And you're just like, I can't help you. Like, you can help you, but I can't help you. My favorite was somebody did it to me in the lobby of a show that I was headlining. Didn't realize I was the headliner. Uh, heard somebody ask me for my credits and I just listed that like we had our podcast and it was like already written down on a thing. And this girl comes to sit next to me. She's like, oh my God, I love your show. And she does this like whole thing. And then she's like, I can't believe I got to meet the girl from My Favorite Murder. And I was like, oh no, that's not me. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, you're thinking of Karen and she'd be offended. <laughs> like, I love Karen Kilgariff, but she ain't no Paige Wesley. No, well, the, I'm no Karen Kilgariff. <laughs> she's hilarious. but She yeah. is. I love Karen. She's my easily my favorite on that show. Every single water Uber driver's like, you seem like a writer. You know, I'm kind of a writer. And it's a <laughs> hilarious joke that they do three or four times. Yeah, it's great. So she gets back to her house just in time to get out of drag. I think you mean estate. Palace. It is an estate. Yeah, you're right. She gets back to her estate just in time to get out of drag to run into evil Colin Firth, who's basically oh, like, yeah. I'm coming to a party at your house tonight. And also, I think you're stubborn, but you could have them babies, though. And then, like, leaves like that's Oh, yeah. Well, and, and we also see the mom dumping exposition all over the nurse about yes. we're going to be gone for three weeks and we need to make sure Gwyneth Paltrow is married before we get back or like um, arranged before we get back or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like that they're going to uh, like arrange the deal tonight at this party right and Shakespeare does run knock on the door talks to the nurse he runs into the new musicians which he knows he's like hey what's going on here and they explain to him they're like come in with us yeah yeah mm-hmm. well that's after he talks to the nurse and gives them a note for Thomas Kent ah uh, yes who the nurse says is her cousin or nephew, nephew or something yeah. like that yeah right and basically that letter is offering them him the role of Romeo yes in Romeo and Ethel the Pirate's daughter so <laughs> who wouldn't want that I know so Will Shakespeare crashes the party, much like Romeo does in the play. I did sort of feel offended that everyone there with the band, obviously musicians, right? And they're trying to like make it seem like Shakespeare is in the band. So they give him a percussion instrument. Yeah. <laughs> Which he immediately drops and then goes and dances with rich ladies. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like he sees Gwyneth Paltrow on the dance floor and he like goes and dances out there. They're doing a dance that you have to have an even number of men and women. Yes. To do this. And it's like one of those like traveling partner dances, right? So Mm -hmm. like Uh if he walks in and starts dancing with her, there's now a guy who's like, what the fuck happened? I have no one to dance with. And that guy is Colin Firth. And he is not (laughs) having it. He is super mad. And he basically threatens Will Shakespeare. And he's like, what's your name? And he's like, Marlo. (laughs) Get Marlo. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so funny. Well, the reason he does that is because Shakespeare is like dancing with Gwyneth Paltrow. And he like is not saying anything. And she's like, I thought you were a poet. I thought you were a man of words. And he's like so speechless. He's like stunned. And that's when Colin Firth grabs him and pulls him away. And he goes, what are you, a poet? I heard her say you were a poet or like a playwright or whatever. And that's why he throws Marlo into the bus. Well, he's enamored with her immediately. He, he, yeah, he talks to her in the scene immediately after this. Because right, he, he basically gets like booted from the party and runs around, finds her balcony. But it's he's clearly like, she looks out over the balcony and he's just like wandering around the gardens. So he was just like, it's gotta be one of these windows. <laughs> like, I know. How many windows did he walk by like looking for her? So many. 
And also, the security here sucks. Yes. Well, didn't they, didn't they chase him out? Eventually, but he was loitering around their property looking to peep on their daughter for, I assume, a few hours. Yeah, well, and they, so they chase him out after he tries to climb the balcony and the nurse screams <laughs> and then he falls a, a distance that would easily have, like, slipped a disc. But he fell on a shrubbery. He was fine. A shrubbery. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Although I did like, they do speak a little bit from her in the balcony and him below. Right. And then as he starts to climb it to like, you know, make his move or whatever, that's when the nurse walks out and sees him and they're like face to face. And that's why he falls backwards on the shrubbery. Oh, such a funny scene. It was so good. Yeah. It's the archetype for the scene that we get later, which is the yes. but soft what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Yes. As him and Gwyneth Paltrow are talking from the balcony and whatnot, they, she like goes back away because the nurse is calling or whatever. And he like runs to like the base of the house so no one can see him. And he's yeah. like, I will be punished for this. And I just wanted to know, Mikey, how many times have you been in a situation <laughs> with a woman where you thought I will be punished for this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me let me let me let you into my philosophy. Well, and Mikey, now. I only ask because for me the answer was many times. Uh, yeah. Well, there was that one time where he had a giant nose and was telling poetry to somebody else to somebody else on a balcony, but that was just one isolated incident. <laughs> I have a philosophy now that I've had for a few years, which is always kiss the girl. Because you don't want to look back and regret not kissing her. Sha-la-la-la-la-la. Yeah. You got to. (laughs) Now, what this does, though, it does lead to some complications. So, like, there's going to be a lot of situations where you're like, this is definitely not going to end well. And then you just go with it, and then it definitely does not end well. The kiss doesn't end well or the date? Because, like, how many rejected kisses have there been? (laughs) Well, I mean, like, you know, if there's any situation where you're like, should I kiss her or not? You're like, yeah, let's go ahead. But but life doesn't end well. Complications arise, of course. Um, like mouth herpes. No. <laughs> it's a birthmark. <laughs> I was not referring specifically. <laughs> oh, my God. I remembered that as it left my mouth. I was like, wait, come back. There's so many situations in my life where I've been like, this is going to be trouble. And then it definitely is. But that's like, that's like, a, you know, they make good stories and that's yeah. how you have good so, stories. And then you wake up the next morning and her dog has chewed up your shoes. Oh, oh I don't like that story. <laughs> I mean, so, so essentially your philosophy, instead of live and learn, it's just live and continue living in the same way that you've always <laughs> yes, lived before. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about growth? <laughs> she does, Mikey. <laughs> she does. Oh, Paige, I love you so much. All right. Oh, my God, you guys. I'm like blushing. So I just wanted to get all of that out, and now we can move on to the next scene. I apologize. No, that's that's a a good bit. I think that's really funny. Yeah. So he he kicks this little mouse boy out, and so we get to the rehearsal the next day. Yeah. uh, Where... Shakespeare comes in on a tear and like kicks the mouse boy out. Oh yeah. He's like yelling at the mouse boy and he's like, who are you? And he goes, I'm Ethel, the pirate's daughter. And then Shakespeare goes, I'll be damned if you are. (laughs) (laughs) Which to me is a horrible overreaction to this child. But yeah, absolutely. A child that is mistreating animals and (laughs) any number of other serial killer traits. Yes, Yes. The kid is a serial killer. Well, 
a note on the kid. This is oh. one of the things I didn't catch until this time. Do you have this note, Todd? I do. It's John Webster. I, I've known I've known this for years because I've seen this movie so many times. But John Webster is actually a, a sort of prevalent-ish playwright, and he wrote a yes. bunch of plays like The White Devil and The Duchess of Malfi. But yeah, so he would have been young, like a young kid, around the time of Shakespeare. So they just sort of insert him here as a nod. Does he write like dark plays? Yes, yes. he does. Super dark, bloody plays. Which at the uh. And when the queen asks, did you like the play? And he goes, I like the part where she stabbed herself. Because yeah. that's, that's like the plays he wrote. Like his that's plays like were his very thing. dark. Yeah. yeah. That, make, that makes it so much funnier. I was just like, man, that kid is a serial Fucked killer. up. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't get it until this time when he was like, John Webster. And I was like, the dictionary one? And I was like, no, that's Samuel <laughs> Webster. So then I, I like Googled it and I was like, oh, playwright. Got yeah. it. As that's happening, Ben Affleck stomps in with Duncan and like. <laughs> I love this scene so much because <laughs> Fennyman is like, because I mean, the Admiral's men and uh, Ned, who is, right. who is played by Ben Affleck, as you said, sort of right. like just like blast in the front door. And Fennyman's like, who are you? What are you doing? And he's like, silence, you dog. Yeah, he's like yes, yelling so at funny. him, and like he introduces himself as all these like famous characters from like plays, and yes. eventually he uh, introduces himself to Shakespeare as Henry the Sixth because he played Henry the Sixth, I guess, when they did Henry yes. Shakespeare as Henry the Sixth, and then. Um, Fennyman is like, what are you doing? And he like, that's when he yells silence. And he goes, who are you? And then Fennyman's <laughs> all like, like taken aback by this. Cause yeah. normally he's like the power guy in the situation. And he's like, I'm the money. And then Ben Affleck goes very well. Then you may remain as long as you remain <laughs> silent and you'll see how genius creates a legend. And then Fennyman goes, thank you, sir. <laughs> I love this scene so much. It's so good. So in the movie, these actors, they weren't they like they were acting in the country because the theater was yes. shut down. Yes, so they came they just plague. came back. Okay. So they came back yeah. because the plague ended. Yeah. Yeah. Or the plague didn't end. They just opened up the playhouses because the masters of the revel wanted to bone down Rosalind. But yeah. Yes. Nice. This is also where we meet Sam who plays all their ladies. Yes. And we learn that he's not a gelding, which is important to note. Right. The berries just haven't dropped. He still has them, yes. Yes, which was a thing in the theater. Either you had young men who had not dropped their testicles and changed their voice, or you had eunuchs playing women. Yeah, that's someone who has their testicles removed, correct? A, a eunuch could be somebody born without them or who has had them removed. I feel like it's probably more common to just remove them. You would think so, except that I know someone who was born without them and has a wonderful castrato. Paige, I told you never to say anything. <laughs> Uh, like a, a, another comedian and he does jokes about it, but he was just like that his body resorbed them basically. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So at this point, Thomas Kent, AKA Gwyneth Paltrow shows back up and she's wearing a wig that conservatively looks like Anne Heche or Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell and hook. Yes. Oh <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's oh, yes. that's a great reference. Uh, Julia Roberts yes. and Tinkerbell. So good. Or as Tinkerbell. Yeah. That awakens something inside me. That's oh, <laughs> Yeah. You're doing it, Mikey. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Will Shakespeare get, basically gives Thomas Kent a sonnet to take back to Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. And gets into a water Uber. With Gwyneth Paltrow. I have a few things to ask about this because yeah. when they're in that water Uber and they're right. talking, they're like talking about 
Gwyneth Paltrow as Gwyneth Paltrow, not as yes. she is currently presenting yeah. as Thomas Kent. Right. And he either is pretending he doesn't know it's Thomas Kent or legit doesn't know Thomas Kent is Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Right. Right. He, so it plays like he legit did not know. I, yes. I felt that and way they, too. Yeah, and I felt they do that way too. Mock him for it because the yeah. water Uber guy's like, dude, a child could see that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> This water Uber guy is quick with the shade. Well, and also quick to hand the script off to him. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that's the water Uber guy who's like written the script or whatever. Anyway, yeah. they're like going through all these comparisons. Like, what is her voice like? All of that stuff. And then he starts to talk about her bosom. And he compares mm-hmm. bosom to apples. And I don't think that that's a comparison that like holds that, up. That line does not hit. Yeah. Fun fact. Oh, sometimes when you buy bras, they will describe boob shapes as fruits. But apple is apples one of like okay, I have so many questions right now, Paige. Um, I mean sometimes Is it by the bushel? Like how do you do that? Because <laughs> Will goes like five minutes about how pretty her eyes are and her skin and her yeah. smile, then ruins it with the with you know, don't ever talk about boobs when you're doing romantic stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's actually before this page because at this point he follows her and then this is the first night they have sex, isn't it? Well, okay. So what happens is Wessex is already at her house demanding to see her and being told that she's <sighs> mm. at church because she is supposed to go with him to see the queen the next day. Oh. At Greenwich. He is coming to inform her that they will be traveling to see the queen and getting permission for them to marry because the queen had to give permission for members of the court to marry. And he finishes his like speech here with, you are allowed to show your pleasure. To which she's like, I don't love you. I don't want to do this. I, yeah. I yes. am showing it and it is non-existent. Yeah. And this scene happened before consent was a thing because he just walks up to her and like kisses her very impassionately on the mouth. And she yes. tests him because she was like, "Do you? What do you like about my?" Eye? He like she like wants him to talk like poetic about her features. Yeah, and he's like, "Your eyes are like super pretty." No, he's like, "It was your eyes." No, your lips. And then he runs up and kisses her. And she's like, oh, Oh, gosh. Yeah. 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 This is also where we find out that he's a plantation owner in Virginia, even though Virginia doesn't exist yet. He the way he's talking about it, knowing what we know about that time in history, he is talking about cargo on the ship. And what he actually means is people. So he's stone cold awful. He's the worst he's terrible i think this happens before because when they go back the reason she kisses him when they're in the water uber going back to the house is because he says for one kiss i would defy a thousand wessexes right Right. i was like oh that's super sweet but i'm pretty sure the correct pronunciation is wexi but they do kiss (laughs) right there and then they go back and they just start bone he just takes her to pound town that's true and he unwraps the you know her because she bound her breasts, which they right. mention, uh, which is actually something that gets mentioned in Twelfth Night. Yeah. Um, but so, yes, this is also where we see her nips um, yes, and where the nurse is in the rocking chair to hide the I creaking love- of the bed. <laughs> the nurse is the best, man. She is Good like wingman. Yeah, yeah, she is like a bro in the sense of like ride or die. She's in it to win it. Like she's going to help you out no matter what. I love that. I also love that this movie portrays women as enjoying sex in a yeah, positive it, yeah. way. Both Rosalind and Viola and Aphrodite, the one that does it behind the, uh, the dog, dog and, and trumpet. Mm-hmm. Dog and trumpet. <laughs> and then when they get done, she's like, wow, I'd never thought there was something better than poetry. 
Yeah. Or better than mm-hmm. the play. And oh, then, yeah. and that yeah. was just my first time. And then he's like, "Well, let's go again, baby." Yep. <laughs> and they do. Uh, yeah. So the next day, Colin Firth shows up demanding to see her. She is indisposed. Here's my frustration with this scene. He dresses up as the nurse to go with them to Greenwich. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he also manages to get Gwyneth Paltrow fully dressed in period accurate dress, and no, that would have taken multiple people. Yeah. And there's no Hours. way he knew enough clothes, knew enough about clothes to do it. Uh, but they literally like minutes later, they're like in and out, fully dressed. And she's wearing like <laughs> half of a dog cone. Yeah. And she's wearing like half of a sparkly dog cone. So they they go to see the queen. Yeah. And the queen is basically like, um, she's kind of pushy. Like she's kind of standoffish because the queen basically says that she you know you're the one that comes to all the plays and whatever because yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow says I'd love to have a play acted out for me and the queen goes uh they're actually acted out for me yes <laughs> and I was like god okay I'm sorry thank you for inviting me Jesus and we don't know this yet but the queen sees literally everything because she knows that that's Shakespeare as yep. uh, the chaperone, right? And mm-hmm. she knows that she's been plucked or however she uh, introduces that's, the fact that That's a she's later scene, but yeah. Oh, yes. is it? Yeah, yeah, that's later. I thought she says it here when she's saying to Wessex. Oh, no, you're right. She does yeah. say it here. I've seen this movie too many times. What also happens here is uh, Wessex asks who wrote the play that they saw like days before. Yeah. Because Viola quotes it. Yeah. And the quote unquote nurse, which is William Shakespeare, again says, I'm pretty sure it was Christopher Marlowe. Yeah. <laughs> like, like blames him again. Um, but no, you're right. So uh, Judy Dench, as the queen, basically says, you're approved. You can get married, but you're a damn fool. She literally says you're a lordly fool, but she yeah. she's yours if you want her. But she's been with someone since last I saw her, and it was not was you. not you. Like, how do you know all of those things? A, a woman knows. She says that. I like to think that the dog cone gives her telepathic powers. <laughs> like, it's just a satellite dish for other people's yeah. thoughts. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it works. She probably just has spies in every house. That's probably true. That's probably more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That makes more sense. Now, this is also where we introduce the wager. So they make a wager as to whether or yeah. not a play could truly demonstrate the reality of love. And the wager is for 50 pounds. Are you ready to hear what 50 pounds was worth? Yes, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, your currency calculation. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Paige. I want to hear it. All right. So it's 8,582 pounds. Or $10,137.92. Holy uh, crap. That ain't no small amount. And that's exactly how much it will take for Will to join the Chamberlain's men. Yes. Yeah. Because he's essentially going to buy out a partnership yeah. in it. So this would equate to six horses, 26 cows, or a thousand days of skilled tradesman labor, which is essentially God. either three people for a year or one person for three years. That's insane. Wow, this plot makes more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> the very next scene, we see Rosalind and Burbage are having sex, and Burbage finds out that Shakespeare sold the play to Henslow, even though he'd promised it to him. Is this when the bracelet breaks open and that's yes. how he finds out? Yes. And that's how he finds out. And so essentially, this sparks a literal fight between the two companies of players 
uh, using the dialogue from the opening scenes of Romeo and Juliet. Draw if you be a man. I bite my thumb at thee, yeah. sir. <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, I love I love this scene because everyone is like fighting except for if any men in Hemslow and they're just like, this is fantastic. This is so well acted. Like it's <laughs> yeah. so good. I, I love it. It's so funny. The fighting series. I was like, are they trying to kill each other for real? Yeah. yeah. The Admiral's men win, quote yes. unquote, win. But everyone's kind of still friends at the end of the day where it's like, <laughs> eh, you know, they go to a tavern where Jeffrey Rush, I believe, announces Kegs and legs open and on the house. That's Fennyman. Because Fennyman <laughs> oh, owns Fennyman. that okay. tavern. That's yeah. one of Fennyman's businesses. Yeah. And he is like a brothel owner slash tavern owner, right? Yes. It's a house of ill repute. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because Gwyneth Paltrow's there too, right? The yeah. whole time. Yes. But, but they're there to celebrate. So like Fennyman is like, listen, uh, have drinks on the house, ladies on the house, which apparently was a thing. And then, um, and you know, Will and Thomas sit down at a table together and start sort of talking. And this is when, you know, sex workers come up and try to entice them. And it's honestly a pretty funny little moment. Yes. But this is also where she finds out that William Shakespeare is married. Yeah. Yes. Is, and she yeah. runs away. She mm -hmm. does, and as Will goes to chase her, this is when one of the Admiral's men comes in, stops Will, and lets him know that Marlowe mm -hmm. was just murdered. And what he immediately thinks, because he's been pretending to be Marlowe in uh, Evil Firth's presence, he thinks that Colin Firth's character murdered Christopher Marlowe. Right. I thought so. I mean, I think you're supposed to originally. Because he pulls daggers on Will Shakespeare like the whole movie up until this point. Oh, yeah. Yes. He goes from zero to knife fight like for nothing. Like all he all Shakespeare does in that first scene where they meet is say, hey, your future wife is super hot. And he like tries to stab him. Yeah. And she's not even really his future wife at that point. That's true. He's just interested in all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we see William Shakespeare super broken up over this and yeah. is praying for forgiveness and blaming himself. I love that they showed him being so remorseful yes. and like going to church and praying for forgiveness and like being caught up about it because it gave I think it gave his character a lot more depth than just glancing over it uh because I really I was like okay he's like a decent guy yeah he's a womanizer and he kind of yeah he has some he has some flaws but like he's not trying to hurt anybody or he's like yeah. he's not like a super yeah. bad guy I, I really liked it well and I feel like you know there's a respect between him and Marlo yeah. that the yeah. movie has demonstrated already and so mm -hmm. I think that's kind of, you know, we're really seeing him lose somebody that he considered to be a friend. So the next scene is Gwyneth Paltrow and the nurse riding. They cross paths with Evil Firth, who... Who is out singing. Like, he's celebrating yes. just at the dawning of the day. Like, he's, like, super mm -hmm. happy. And then he's like, oh, it would make sense that you're going to church. And Gwyneth Paltrow's like, yeah, it's Sunday. And he goes, yeah. oh, I mean, under the circumstances. And then she, like, pries more and more. And he goes, oh, I didn't think I'd be the one to tell you. The guy who was at your house, that playwright dude, yeah, he's dead. Like, yeah. he's so cold. And he doesn't clarify who it is. So oh, he I thinks know. he's referring to Marlowe. She thinks it's William Shakespeare. She rushes to the church. Shakespeare also rushes to the church. Yeah. Well, because they want to go to the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. And Colin Firth goes with her. Yes. To revel in it uh, yeah. like an asshole. But it sets up a great insider Shakespeare joke. Yeah. Where William Shakespeare is there coming from kind of the corners where not a lot of people can see him. And he just points. And then Colin Firth runs away because he thinks it's a ghost. Yeah. And that's a reference. <laughs> yeah. That's a reference to Macbeth and yes. the character of Banquo. So. Yeah. And Mikey, I have a favor to ask of you if I die before you. And it's just that you'll run out of the church screaming about my ghost. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Absolutely. That would be amazing. Todd ghosted me. (laughs) (laughs) So Gwyneth Paltrow, because her, you know, almost husband ran out screaming is like, what's going on? She spots William Shakespeare. Yeah. They run outside. They have a reconciliation that made me cry. I know. This Um, is the first time I openly uh weep in this movie. Yes. Yes. And then they go to like the riverbank and talk. And then this is where Shakespeare is really like talking about how Kit Marlowe like really influenced his work and how he would trade every one of his future plays for Kit Marlowe's future plays. Right. And then Gwyneth Paltrow calls him on it. She's like, you're lying. You're lying about this like you lied in my bed or whatever. <laughs> and this, this is where they have the very, very sad conversation of we can never be together. There's right. no way that we're ever going to be forever together. Right. Right. And it's like a super sad, but I like it. I like that it's so realistic yeah. because they're just like, I love you. I love you, too. This will never work out. Right. Which is sad. And it, because you have those conversations. Let's 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 say hypothetically you have that conversation. Yeah. Or you've had that conversation before. And I'm sure maybe all of us have had that conversation before. Then you trick yourself into like you had the conversation so you can say we've had this conversation and then you live life like that conversation never happened. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what happens in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get totally destroyed. In a- <laughs> yeah. You get totally destroyed in about 40 minutes of this movie. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I do like that they had this conversation sort of in the middle of the movie that it's never going to work out. We have a stolen season is how she, as she puts yeah. it. Right. And I really, really like that. That is known. It's never going to work. It reminds me of Romeo and Juliet. You know, at the very beginning, the first lines of the movie are that they commit suicide or th- they die, right? Yes. So you mm-hmm. know going into it, it's going to be sad. Mm-hmm. And and that it's not at the beginning of the movie, but it's in the middle of the movie. You know it's never going to work out. And I like right. that. Um, so the next, we see them still rehearsing because she's still in the play. Oh, and yeah. this is where they're having sex backstage and Creepy Mouse Boy is watching. I don't like Creepy Mouse Boy. You don't like young preteens peeping Tom on people who are having sex, Mikey? As they feed mice to cats. <laughs> John Webster's not a good dude. I mean, I don't know about his plays. <laughs> I, I did I, like he but, was like, I seen her boobies. Yeah. Yeah, I seen her boobies. So this is also where we essentially Gwyneth. No, she doesn't get revealed just yet, but. Not yet. Um, well, in a short cutaway scene, we do see. Uh, John Webster, yes. the boy, talking to the Master of the Revels, and the Master right. of the Revels is saying things like, you will go far, I fear, which I thought was a fun line. Yes. Because he's, like, turning in mm-hmm. uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as, you know, being a woman on the stage. Right. Yes, but independently of that, Wessex shows up to essentially challenge William Shakespeare because he's now found out that he's not Christopher Marlowe. <laughs> right. Yes. Is this the duel? Is this the duel scene? Yes, this yes. is the weirdly long and also bad duel. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what is this? I think it's fun, guys. I enjoyed it. I did like it, Paige. I don't know what you're talking about. But this is also like right after this is where he, um, William Shakespeare finds out that Marlowe died in a bar fight. Like an actual bar fight. This is another very funny joke because they do have this sword fight, right? And Will does get the upper hand, but he stabs it with like a fencing sword. Yes. So it bends and stuff. I thought that that was really funny. Anyway, but he does eventually break that sword as uh, Wessex is on the ground and he could kill him with it. And he says, uh, friends, this is the murderer of Kit Marlowe. And then Ben Affleck was like, um, no, it's not. Kit Marlowe was in a fight over the bill. And then Hemslow goes, 
oh, the bill? Like, oh, vanity. Because, <laughs> like, they're, like, they're arguing like over the who's going to be bill. listed first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, not the billing, the bill. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> and Wessex didn't have anything to do with it. He, he even says, like, I rejoiced in his death because I thought it was yours, but yeah. I didn't have anything to do with it. Which I thought was good. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And that's when the master of the revels it comes in and goes, you yes. know, there's a woman on the stage. There's a woman on the stage. I'm shutting this theater down. And they accuse Sam of being the woman. Which is my favorite because Sam doesn't look any he doesn't pass at all no he is not fishy at all <laughs> he's not serving tilapia he yeah. is he's serving meaty tuck first time up in drag oh, real oh yeah absolutely and I'm back in the theater with my opera glasses can't wait to see how this turns out right <laughs> they're broken he, no that's just a really ugly woman no. <laughs> but he the master of the revels lifts the dress and like flashes all the guys and they're like Clearly, Sam's the dude, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then John Webster, the little mouse boy, goes, no, her. And drops a mouse down her back. That's right. And then yes. she rips her wig off trying to get the mouse out of her head. And, yes. and then the master of the robot goes, well, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> and then he closes the theater. The master of the rebels goes, This theater is closed. I just yes. love the way he delivers that and line. It's, like it's illegal. Idiot. It's all illegal. Yes, it is. Yes. This is where the Chamberlain's men essentially come to the rescue. Because the Admiral's men and all the actors from Romeo mm -hmm. and Juliet go back to the bar. Yeah. And then this is where they come in and say, you know, Burbage says, My dad was the first person to get a license to have a company of players. We are all brothers in this. You have mm -hmm. a, a play. I have a theater. The Rose is yours. And yes. then that's when Hemslow starts crying. The only time yes. he experiences emotion. And then we start to get like this montage of them getting ready for it. Well, and this is where this is my favorite modern day entertainment industry joke. And it's blink and you miss it. But they show the playbill for the play. Yeah, it's so and long. It's, and it's yeah. like. A Miramax production of a Disney-associated ABC yeah. production of, and it's like, <laughs> and it's just the, like, Fennyman production of a Henslow, of a William Shakespeare written of it, and it's just, and but it is literally like credits on an Oscar movie. It's yeah. so <laughs> it's funny. insane. But, okay, so here's what bothers me, and I didn't notice it until this time watching through it. The wedding was scheduled for the day the play was supposed to be. Right. She was never going to be able to be in she it. She was never going to be in that play. Yeah. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. Oh. So the next scene is like her coming into the room where her dad is literally writing like a check for 5,000 pounds. For her, to, her dowry. Yeah. Head, head cannon. Yeah. The play was supposed to be the day before until they changed it over to the Rose. I mean, maybe. Uh, we don't know yeah, that. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, that's speculation at best, Mikey. But <laughs> anyway, so she walks into that room and like the dad is buying Wessex for them, right? And right. he Wessex asked for 50 or so pounds in... In gold. Yeah. So he can settle his accounts here, which, you know, we know what that's for, right? Mm -hmm. And then Gwyneth Paltrow throws like the shadiest let's get married line and that's like, well, I see the bank is open, so let's to church. Yes. Well, and... <laughs> So her dowry, the 5,000 pounds, oh, yeah. that is the equivalent of 858,236 pounds in modern pound sterling. Which Holy is going to be a million crap. or so in, in About dollars. a million dollars American. Oh, yes. oh my God. Honestly, now, worth it. No, that's they're paying him that? 
Oh, it's her, yeah. It's her, da- it's her dowry. So if you were a woman, uh, that's what you came with. That's why he's marrying her is because yeah. her family is I rich. I feel like dowries need to come back. Cause like- Me too. I am worth it, ladies. <laughs> a million? <laughs> Woo. I hope Natalie's dad's got money. I'd do it for uh, 700000 <laughs> Mikey's one of those guys who will he'll take less money, but he's worth more in the long run. Yeah, it's an investment. <laughs> well, do you want to know? Do you want to know what you can buy with that money? Um, yes. Yes. Okay, so this is about six hundred horses, twenty seven hundred cows, but most importantly, it's ten or I'm sorry, one hundred thousand days of skilled tradesmen. So Jesus. that's roughly two hundred people for a year. Or one person for 200 years. Um, but essentially, those are the slaves that he's purchasing. Yeah. Which they don't address directly, but that's what that money is for. Uh, okay. So you can yeah. buy all of that or a one-bedroom studio apartment in L.A. Oh, yeah. If you're, <laughs> if you're purchasing that studio apartment, I mean, yeah, this is not far <laughs> off. <laughs> so they get married we don't really see the wedding we see them no. come out on the church steps which i believe are the same church steps from ever after oh really in, in ah. watching it this time it looked like the same ones where uh after he chooses not to marry the princess that cries through the entire wedding uh, and, and runs out to be like where's danielle i'm pretty sure it's those same steps the nurse helps her escape through the carriage Brilliant. I did love how the play Bill hits Wessex right in the face. Or he's like, aha, exposition. (laughs) Yeah, and then he hands it to Gwyneth Paltrow who sees it and she's like, oh, I'm going to leave. And then she hands it to the nurse and the nurse who is the best definition of bro ever like runs interference for her because as he gets her into the carriage, he turns around and says, you'll all be welcome in Virginia. So if you can afford to take a six month cruise to Virginia, you'll be welcome and in this survive colony. Yeah. Like yes. you, you would never want to go anyway, whatever. And then the nurse comes up and it's like, you know, take care of her or whatever. It's like weeping on him, running in interference so she can bolt. And then I yes. love when he gets in the carriage, sits down and he's like, yeah, I'm married. And he's like, Oh, where's my wife? What the fuck? I love, I <laughs> my love favorite that. is that he gets into the carriage and scoots all the way over yeah. and, re- and realizes that there's no one in the seat next to him. Yeah. <laughs> so the nurse helps her escape and they go to the theater basically just to watch the play. So they're right. in the audience. But this is when we find out that Sam's balls dropped and no, now no. his voice is crazy. Oh, and Will and Will's Shakespeare is playing Romeo. Yes. yes and Will yeah. Shakespeare's playing Romeo. And Juliet does not appear until a handful of pages in 20 pages in yeah about 20 pages in so they've got time yeah and so mr weasley who we think is going to stutter and ruin it crushes it yes redemption yeah i love it so much man so they find her in the audience on accident well sort of yeah because hemslow is like talking to will backstage and he's like who's gonna play juliet like sam can't do it he now has a man voice and then Hemslow was like, but you know, the show must. And then Will goes, go on. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he's trying to, get to finish the sentence. I love that. And then he, they, he does the whole, it'll turn out well. I don't know. It's a mystery it thing. It is a mystery. But he goes into the audience to tell Fennyman. Uh, Burbage. Yes. He goes to talk to Burbage because Burbage has a company of players too. And right. maybe they have their, their male, female sort of person could play Juliet or something. Maybe that's right. his mm-hmm. hope at least. And then I love the way Hemslow handles Gwyneth Paltrow because he's like, we don't have a Juliet talking to Burbage. And then, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow goes, what? <laughs> and he goes, calm down. We'll be okay. <laughs> like, he, doesn't, he doesn't recognize her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, calm down, ma'am. It'll be fine. And then he, she goes, what happened to Sam? And he goes, 
he realizes who it is. Yeah. Right. And he like just like pushes over to her and says, Do you know it? And she says, Every, Every word. word. And this is when I started crying and I don't stop until the credits. Oh yes, my god. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> me, me, me too, because yeah. in my mind I'm like, they get one more chance. I know. I, know. <laughs> I saw like I cried so hard, man. Like I yes. went through tissues. Well, and everyone in the audience is crying, so it just makes yeah. you cry more. Because you're just like, they have one last chance to be together and it's on stage and they have to make the most of it. I do have a money note. So in the play, uh, Romeo pays the apothecary 40 ducats. Yeah. uh, And the conversion rate for ducats in coins to U.S. dollars for today is 3.15 cents. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cheap poison. And, yeah. Yeah. I have no purchasing power info on that, but just because I was like, oh, this will probably be like 10 bucks or whatever. No, three cents. It's so, very cheap poison. Very. Um, this is now, Todd, you're going to know this. Mikey, you might not. <laughs> <laughs> this is a section of the play, Romeo and Juliet, that everyone fucking leaves out. And it boggles my mind. They leave out Paris's death. Within Romeo and Juliet, there is like an evil Colin Firth character, quote unquote, although he's not really evil. He's just there and betrothed to Juliet. When Juliet is believed to have died, he is essentially guarding her grave. So when Romeo comes back to pay his respects, they duel and he kills Paris in that (laughs) duel. And Paris's last request is basically just lay me beside my wife to die because they did get married. And so he leaves Paris there to die. He honors his wishes and then they both die and commence with the end of the play that everybody knows. But literally almost every single production of Romeo and Juliet leaves that scene out. It's Mm. wild. And you can see his body on the stage on the floor by where they're like Juliet's laying when he comes in. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't ever talk about it, but his body (laughs) is back there. Now the play ends and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's wonderful. Uh, but she's a lady. What are we going to do? I do love that, like, the play ends and yes. no one claps because they're, like, so, like, taken yeah. aback by the emotions they're feeling. Everybody's cr- There's not a dry eye in the house, you know. Right. And then, like, you see the actors, like, looking around like, oh, did they hate it? Like, what happened? Yeah. And then one guy starts, like, slow clapping because it was a 90s movie. And then it builds up to this clap. And right. then we see the the preacher guy, like, losing his shit, like, clapping. I love yeah. that part. <laughs> The, re- the Master of Revelers comes in, right? Yes. Like, with, with a bunch of troops, right? Yeah. And they shut it down. And That's a woman. <laughs> yeah. They first say, you know, you're not allowed to do a play. And Burbage says, you close the other playhouse, not this one. I'm not breaking any laws. And they're like, no, that's a woman. And then they point and they're pointing at the nurse. <laughs> And then Ben Affleck goes, that old goat. (laughs) Yeah, I I loved it. And then he was like, clearly it's the hot woman on the stage. Right, 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 right. Please. And then he's like saying with all the power that is invested in me by the queen. And that's when Judy Dench stands up and is like, "Um, you know, take care when you use my name or whatever. Yeah, you wear it out. Like, oh, she's so good at this. I love this. Yeah, me too. You must be mistaken. I'm the queen and I'm here and I would never come to like an affront to society. Yes. So let's uh, let's figure this all out. <laughs> yes. 
This is also where she declares the winner of the wager. Yes. She calls over, um, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow to be like, Master Kent, let me just yes. judge and see if you're a man. And she judges her a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to send anyone to jail. Like, And she makes a very interesting comment of, I uh, know yeah. a little bit about a woman in a man's profession. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is very important because she was a queen and she was one of the first queens to rule unmarried, even though she was probably sleeping with a few people. Yeah. And I mean, queen's got needs too, baby. Yeah, queen's mm-hmm. got needs. She's got to fill that dog cone with snacks that aren't just food. She needs man <laughs> snacks. For a second, I was very worried about what you were referring to as her dog <laughs> cone. So I'm glad it went where it was, but I was very concerned. <laughs> uh, but she basically cuts Gwyneth Paltrow a break and is like, hey, it took balls to not have balls and be on this stage. So yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Um, they then exit the playhouse, and essentially she gives... Gwyneth Paltrow this moment of like being Thomas Kent stops now you need to go inside say your goodbyes and then when you come out you're Lady Viola and that's the end of it and so oh and here's the 50 pounds give him the give her the here's 50 the pounds. 50 pounds which yeah. allows him to then join the Chamberlain's men yeah and so they have a very sad goodbye uh, this this is where I cried yeah I was so many tears deep at this point it I was, was like oh yeah <laughs> a thousand times goodbye I had already oh. been crying for like conservatively 20 minutes minutes. page same guys yeah Yeah. uh 20 minutes but the one that really gets me is he's like you will never age for me and i'm just nor die i'll never see her again oh my god it was sad it was very very sad yeah you'll you'll always be my muse and you'll always live on in my heart yeah and then they sort of talk out the plot for 12th night Yes, they do. Yeah. And she gives him a name and he's like, good name. Because he yeah. just can't think of names. <laughs> um, but this is also where the reason it gets called Twelfth Night within the lore of this story, not necessarily in reality, is because the queen says, prepare something for court. Make it funny. Yes. Make it funny. Something for Twelfth Night. Yeah. And so he will get to a now perform at the castle as himself. <laughs> well, she even says next time you come to court, come as come yourself. Come as yourself. Uh, and yeah. he he does become like her poet in residence, essentially, yeah. historically. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the movie is essentially we see Viola get shipwrecked and survive and walk on the shores of Virginia to almost certain death. So, <laughs> so for me, that was just Twelfth Night. Like they that, were just yeah. talking about Twelfth and it became Twelfth yeah. Night. And mm-hmm. then she goes off to Virginia. They have a bunch of kids and they whatever, you know, yeah, they, they whatever. live their very separate lives, you know. Yes. It was sad. I was like devastated. I was like. Oh, that hit me right in the heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be together. It punches you right in the heart super hard. It's so yeah. good, though. It's such I a great I had to text movie. Paige and be like, I'm really upset. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to talk Mikey down. Yeah, yeah she talked me down. <laughs> you not only had to text Paige, you had to text Paige family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put it on my Instagram story, and that's when uh, Paige's family reached out. <laughs> They were worried about you, Mikey. <laughs> the thing is, I've seen it so many times. I was like, that is the appropriate response. Mikey will be fine in a few hours. Well, Paige, and like we've talked about with these movies, Paige was like, do you actually think these people would have ended up together? Like could have stayed together? Let's talk about that. But before we do that. Okay. At the end of the movie, and I had never noticed this until now, the first title card for the credits is directed by John Madden. Yeah. And for a hot second, I was like, the football guy? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and I had a full ten minutes.
sense of like picturing John Madden <laughs> of football fame directing this movie, but it is not. It's some British guy who happens yeah. to have the same name and didn't bother to change it. So no. if you didn't look it up, you were just like, John Madden directed this? Like, because so he has funny. directed things. But That John Madden was involved, though. He was a stunt coordinator. He coordinated all the fights. <laughs> he was like, you're going to come over here and then boom, you're going to hit him with this sword. <laughs> he did a lot of that kind of stuff. But he was just helping out on the back end. But no, like this is, it was obviously a British production and the guys who wrote it. It's co-written by Tom Stoppard. He wrote uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is yes. like um, sort of an absurdist, like tragic comedy about like. It's like this. the Hamlet version of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's oh. so good. It's so yeah. good. Yes. Do we think they ended up together? Even if she wasn't getting married, they wouldn't have ended up together. Yes. That was my argument right. when, when we talked is Wait, that. Yeah. She, she brought me down. She brought me down to reality. <laughs> yeah. Which is that Shakespeare's married and he's a womanizer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and like I said earlier, I think he he values the excitement of infatuation, but does not understand how to translate those feelings into long-term relationships. And we've seen this demonstrated throughout the entire movie. So, mm. Paige, I have been in love with someone who was in love with falling in love. Yes. But not in love with staying in love. Yeah. So, like, they are the people who will, you know, you date for, you know, six months or a year or two years. In my case, it was five years. And then they just find someone to fall in love with and then cheat on you. This is one of the things that, I, that really bothers me about a lot of romantic comedies because I think a lot of them set this dynamic up as the pinnacle of love when I feel like it's not lasting love. No, that's like the starting no, point. No. After they had the conversation of we can't ever be together, then they you're able to, they every moment is amplified. Yes. You know, all the yeah. feelings are amplified. It's, it's a so pressure cooker. I would assume all of us have had relationships with unavailable people. So oh, there yeah. is some of yeah. that. And so like you, I think this is a lesson that everyone has to learn. And it feels like a Shakespearean tragedy when you're inside it does. of it. Yeah. It's, it's this idea that the dramatic, you know, amplified version is the truest form of love. But in reality, mm. that's the love that never lasts. And right. the true love that lasts is more subtle and more cooperative and collaborative as opposed to just people being obsessed with each other. And we have to remember that this whole movie takes place within three weeks. So this, this is a hot fling slash affair. Yeah. But they were never going to stay together forever, even if she didn't leave. Exactly. Right. So would you guys date either one of these main characters? Um, I would date Gwyneth Paltrow. I uh. feel like I have dated William Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> I've been I, William I Shakespeare. didn't marry him. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, there you go. I, I mean, I have dated people who are like William Shakespeare. I, I definitely have. Like that sort of infatuated with infatuation sort of person. Yeah. And it's really fun for a few months. And then after it's very sad. Yeah. Or after you get to a place where you're like, this is never going to give me what I want because right. this is never mm -hmm. going to be the long-term healthy relationship that I right. want to have. Passion Absolutely. is important, but you also need like longevity and like yeah. realistic and they're not mutually mm -hmm. exclusive, exactly. but I feel like they look very different. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes society and movies train us to look for the version that we see in this movie, and that's not the one that's going to last. All right, so Paige, do you have fun facts? Uh, so I do have a couple fun facts really nice. quickly. This won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Yes, it did. 
it beat Saving Private Ryan. Which was a huge upset. Huge no, that's upset. No, that's not okay. I agree it's not okay, personally. Uh, and it was the first comedy to win the Best Picture Award since Annie Hall in 1977. And wow. that decision has been criticized literally since the day it happened to the present. Um, <laughs> many people consider this to be the worst film to win Best Picture. Wow. Wow. Now... I- I don't think that. I think I don't think that, but I think it's yeah. definitely not as good as Saving Private Ryan. Well, and I think probably the reason that people think that is because it didn't just win Best Best Picture. It fucking swept because yeah. it won Best Picture. Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress. Judy Dench won Best Supporting Actress. Only had ten minutes on the screen, and she won minutes. Best Supporting Actress. She worked for an hour and a half on this movie and got an Oscar. I believe that up until recently she held the record for least screen time and netting wow. an Oscar. Yeah. This yeah. movie does the whole inside jokes for people in the industry thing. Yes. yes. That like really strokes that ego to like get those awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh they also won best costume design, best uh musical score, and best screenplay. So they won I like everything. Like I like the score. I did like. The I score. love the score, yeah. the screenplay. Like I loved all of it. Like I don't know what they were up against in those categories. I think they Saving Private it. Ryan though is like no. I mean, bet yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one of it's mm, it's really one of the best films. And yeah. here's the thing. Like personally, personally, if I'm gonna rewatch something and if I'm gonna enjoy watching something, I'm gonna pick Shakespeare in Love. I Same. do not think it is a better film than Saving Private Ryan. Right. Yeah, it's just much Ugh. more rewatchable, Paige. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. this one doesn't have like a, a half torn apart torso in the first 10 minutes, you know, yeah. <laughs> as as much as little mouse boy would want it to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. All right, and you have any other facts for us? That's going to be about it. Do you have some box office for us? I do have some box office for us. So this movie actually premiered on December 11th. 1998 but it was one of those that like it only put it in eight theaters so it could get in contention for the oscars for that next year right because Uh. you have to be in the theaters before the end of the year so it didn't hit mass theaters like it hit its most number of theaters in like mid-february so like when we talk box office its opening weekend was very very bad but it was it was amazing for eight theaters but it was only in eight theaters right right but what do you guys think the production budget for the movie was? This movie looks expensive. Yeah, yeah. it looked pretty expensive. Like $25? I, I would say closer to 30 or 40 just given the amount of people that are in it, the amount of set and costume design that went yeah. into this. This is a pricey as fuck movie. I'm going to say minimum 40 Okay. It was 26 was the production budget, 26 million. Mm. So <laughs> I mean so, that just it, means they did really well with their but like yeah. they <laughs> did amazing things with not that much money for what we got out That's of it. That's basically what England looks like. Yeah. That's true. Well, and they they do not shy away from outside shots, which is yes. what like you've got to have a lot of stuff going on to be able right. to shoot outside and make it look like Shakespearean England. So like they did a very very good job. So like I said, it came out December 11th, 1998 in eight theaters. And in those eight theaters, it made $224,000. That's amazing is, for eight theaters. It's really good for eight theaters, right? Yeah. And then it didn't really hit its peak until February when it was in 2030 theaters. And then it was bringing in millions and millions and millions of That's week, right? still low. Like for, for a wide release, that's still about 1,000 under regular, right? A regular for now, but there's about 3,000 to 3,000 
300 theaters now. Back okay. then, that was pretty much topping it out. But its peak week, it did $9 million. Uh, and it never got above fifth at the box office because they wanted to do the Oscar buzz, right? Yeah. So right. They, they released it super early in a few theaters and it sort of built and built and built. But it did very, very well. So what do you guys think it made total in its domestic box office run? Domestic, I'm going to say probably 60 million. All right, Mi- Mikey, what do you think? I'm going to say 80. All right. So it made just over 100. It was 100 million wow. 317,000 for and 1998. Then, that's I huge. Know, I know. And then for internationally it made 179 million. So wow. total this movie made 279 million dollars. That's a massive hit. But yeah, so it did very very well. Yeah, and that's exceptionally well for an Oscar film. Oscar films don't usually do that well until after they've won. Yeah, and well, and the way it got up to 100 million in the states is because it went way, way up after the Oscars. Yeah, because of course sense. they left it in the theaters, and then more people went and saw it. Yeah, but that's box office. Thank you, oh. Todd. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've talked about it, what do you guys think? I really liked it. I loved their chemistry. I liked the movie. I made it made me feel feelings. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. I also love how Mikey asked and answered his own question. I thought that that was a ballsy <laughs> move just now. But yeah, I love this movie. I've seen it. I've seen it 31 times or so. Like, I've seen it a lot. And I think it's definitely worth seeing. It's probably one of my favorite rom-coms. I I was surprised at how much I still liked this movie. You know, I kind of expected it to lose some of its shine coming back to it after conservatively almost 10 years, but just as good as I liked it the first time. Absolutely. Well, cool. That was Shakespeare in Love. All right. Yeah. So this week we watched Shakespeare in Love. What are we watching next week? Uh, I think we're watching Wedding Singer. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I love this movie so much. It's so good. Although I haven't seen it and it may not hold up well. (laughs) I haven't seen it in a while either. I told Mikey as I was talking him down off the ledge this week uh, (laughs) that next week would be my turn because I'm almost... I'm I'm almost completely convinced that there are going to be some problematic relationship dynamics next week, and oh, yeah. I will be projecting positive spins on them <laughs> because I love the movie so much. Oh. Um, so it'll be it'll be a fun one next week. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. So guys, watch Wedding Singer for next week. So guys, if you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show on all the socials. Isn't that right, Paige? Yes. yes. I, I don't know. At Romancing that. the Pod Show on all awesome. the socials. Where I'm assuming you can see our art that is getting made currently and anything At else we put point. up there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you wanna if you wanna check out Mikey and I's other podcast, we are on the Horror Virgin Podcast. And Paige has another awesome podcast called The Cult Podcast that you should absolutely check out. Oh, and Black Card yeah. Rehab, Paige. And Black Card Rehab. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. on so many podcasts right now. You're like getting around. I love it. Yeah, I like it. I'm just yeah. like Aphrodite behind the dog and trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to follow us all individually, Paige, your socials are at Paige Wesley or at Rampage Wesley, right? Yes. At Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram because some bitch took at Paige Wesley on Instagram. Wow. So now I just have a kick-ass nickname. I mean, I love Rampage I like Wesley, it. but I couldn't find Thank you on you. Twitter the other day. And I was like, oh, it's just Paige Wesley. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J. Awesome. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, guys, check out our other shows. Check out our other episodes. We got a bunch of episodes for you to binge right now. So enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Shakespeare in Love. Parting <laughs> is such sweet sorrow. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or as we would normally say, bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye.